1: Can you see it? Did you
2: notice? checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot. He scores! Moments notice. It
0: Here, like I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. By, hold my Just wave the guy and
2: get Demko involved. I wanted them in and balanced. Wow, really? we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now.
0: What I'll Pearl steals, in cutting the in, the the shoots, scores. <laughs> Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code HockeySeason, capital H, capital S, all one word, at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Go follow them on Twitter, go follow them on Instagram, Twitch, weekly case breaks, go check them out, ZephyrEpic.com. My name is David Quadrelli, and I am joined, as always, by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Chris, we're recording, this is another late night recording, second week in a row, where we start recording after 11pm.
2: Yep, it's uh, another late one, but that's kind of the way that Fridays have been getting away from us. I know you were playing some Mario Kart coming into this a little bit before, but uh, can I go back to the case breaks that you talked about real quick? So, our friend Tyler, he does the case breaks for Zephyr Epic. Like, like, I don't want to bash Tyler here on the podcast, he's a good dude, but... We have much better luck than he does Maybe <laughs> because we're buying You know like we're getting our, our packs Obviously from Zephyr Epic and, and all the packs are juiced anyways But the ones that Tyler is ripping in the videos they're just, they're just not as juiced Like they're not as juiced for Zephyr Epic They give away packs that are juiced They When you buy one from Zephyr Epic that those are the juice boxes, because Tyler's taking one for the team in those Twitch videos, and he just doesn't get good polls. So, I don't know, Tyler can come at me on Twitter if he wants, but I just <laughs> I feel like our luck's a lot better. Our luck's just a lot better, and maybe it's something with the promo code. You know, the promo code might be helping people out, because our friend from Wise Youngblood, Kyle, that one-of-one, one, that's oh. that's a one-of-one one Niels Huglander card. You don't
0: see those every day. The Nils Hoaglander press card too, keep in mind Like, that's oh. that's that's a one of one And that is a cool one of one to have Especially if you're a Canucks fan Like, that is cool
2: Oh, absolutely I mean, for Kyle, like, he was losing You can see in the background of that video that he, he sent to me It's it's all Canucks gear in the back So he was stoked on it But um, before we go any further I want to mention that it was cool to get some DMs this week From people that I, I haven't talked to before Because I've talked to a, I mentioned it last week on the show like I've talked to a lot of people from Calgary. I've had people from Calgary on the show in the past, but this week we got a couple of DMs on the Canucks convo account, and my personal, I got a few as well. Probably five people total told me that they started listening to the show from Calgary. So we got to yes. give Calgary another yes. shout out because we we gave them a shout out and they came calling. They told some of their stories, and you know, I I made sure to ask like before the pandemic, like. What was it like being at Calgary Flames games when the Vancouver Canucks were in town? Like, did you see a lot of Canucks fans? And the overall response I got from everyone was like, Yeah, like you go to a Canucks versus Flames game, and the bars in Calgary are are pretty split. Like, it's there's a lot of Flames fans, obviously, but for an out of town team, like Vancouver holds up in, in Calgary pretty good.
0: Interesting, very, very interesting. Another interesting thing that happened today, we are recording this at night. But I was talking with my friend, Kevin Woodley, uh, he was joking around, I think he said this off air, but uh, he was saying, he's like, he's like, yeah, I was wondering where Faber is, uh, I think he's mad at me for turning you into a goalie guy, and uh, the answer is yes, like, you, you're, you're not a fan yeah. of Kevin Woodley because of that.
2: No, I mean, listen, Kevin Woodley's got better hair than me, he's got better goalie takes than me, and, like, the, the only thing good about Kevin Woodley, if you ask me, and by the way, Kevin Woodley's gonna be on the show today... Um, yes. during the, for, for a good portion of the interview. And I know that yes. you guys had some great conversations. But you know what? I, I had no interest at all to be on that call. Like, you didn't even ask me if I wanted to be a part of that call because <laughs> you already knew the answer was going to be hell no. You know, I, you know, I respect Kevin Woodley's opinion. I think he's one of the smartest guys to talk goaltenders about. But I, I can only do it with, I can only like chat with Kevin maybe once every six months about goalies because it's too much for me. I just, I don't like, I, you know, Goaltending is just not my position to dive into. Like you seem to love it, I just, I just have, I don't have time for it. I let goalies do their thing if they're playing good, and Ian Clark's a big reason for it. If that's the reason why Thatcher Demko's playing good, awesome. I'm happy for it. That's that's the the extent of how much I want to get into
0: goaltending because I just don't understand the position like a lot of people. Very fair. That is the topic of the show. In case you haven't heard at this point, you likely have. Jim Benning went on Donnie and Dolly, the team on Czech TV with Rick Dollywall and Don Taylor, talked about Ian Clark and point blank said, we are going to get something figured out, talked about how important Clark is to the staff. And it's long been public knowledge that Jim wanted Clark back. And, you know, we, we've reported this. We've, we've talked about this on the show, you know, it it seemed like what was holding it up was a money issue, right? And they just hadn't approached him yet. And, you know, Clark's internal deadline passed, and it was going to have to be, you know, like like it was reported very recently that in order for Clark to come back at this point, given the nature of the internal deadline and that passing, that it was going to have to be a somewhat unprecedented five-year contract. Kevin and I talk about that a bit. It's not completely unprecedented. It's just... You don't see it super often, but full credit to the organization on this one. Like, this, not only Jim Benning, but to ownership, too. Like, this is, you know, and the deal's not done. That's the important thing that I want to mention, is the deal is not done yet. Uh, you know, things could fall through the cracks, but it does look like they're close. Um, and it does look like the organization is prepared to offer uh, Ian five years. As was previously reported, It just didn't seem like that was going to be something that happened. But it it does look like they're going to be five years. And I think the reason that that's so, you know, that that is, and Kevin talks more about this, but the reason that's so huge is because, you know, Jim Benning's done soon. Travis Green only has two years left, right? Like, you are running a bit of a risk. And people are saying, like, you know, I have people on Twitter being like, give him whatever he wants, give him 10 years. Here's the issue with that. Not everybody gets along with Ian Clark. Right, so you you bring in a new coach in two years, and he says I have a goaltending coach I like. What are you gonna say? No, sorry, we already have this guy signed. That's not how it works. You know that's not how a hockey ops department works. They would have to fire Ian and pay out the rest of his contract. Right, like that's the risk you're running now. I think the Canucks are confident that they won't have to do that given how Ian works with Thatcher, but you just never know, right? And that's the risk that they're running by making it run longer than their head coaches, right? Like that's, that's the only risk that they're running with this. And that's why, uh, you know, some organizations choose not to do that because, you know, same goes for any assistant coach, right? Like, um, when a new assistant coach comes in, they are going to want to get rid of Nolan Baumgartner and, uh, and Newell Brown, sorry, new head coach, I meant to say there. Right. Um. You know, if a new head coach comes in, he's going to have his guys, right? And this is every level of hockey. When I was covering junior hockey, the Coquitlam Express, right? Like, you know, new president, new owner, whatever happens, they always have their guy, right? And whoever's there is probably going to go, right? And that's just the nature of the business. That's the nature of hockey. That's just how it is. So that's the risk you're running. But... I think the Canucks are confident in this move, and I, I think they should be. I think, you know, I think they deserve full credit because this looked like it was going to be a case of Ian just walking away because they, they couldn't buck up um, what they needed, but they're separating goaltending coach from regular coaching. And there's a few different organizations throughout the league. Woodley talks more about it, but there's a few organizations that have done that, and it's nice to see the Canucks join that crew.
2: Yeah, and I think we look at so much of what Ian Clark does, obviously, it's the obvious thing is to see what he's done to Thatcher Demko, right? Like, that's the big thing that all Canucks fans are excited about, is to what Ian Clark's ability as a goaltender coach has been able to do with Thatcher Demko's skill. And that's been incredible. But the things that, that are just so added value to this now is the combination for me that's really exciting is having Abbotsford this close, is having Mikey DiPietro and Archer Siloves this close now to what was already talked about as a great pipeline together between Curtis Sanford and Ian Clark as the AHL and NHL goaltender coaches. Now to have them in the back, same backyard, able to you know go out to lunch together, watch film together, you know take in games together, whether it's at the NHL or the AHL level. To have these guys now even more connected so closely. It's a very exciting thing looking forward for these young prospects. And I think the Vancouver Canucks are pretty high on a guy like Archer Silos. They're also pretty high on Mikey D. Pietro. To have that combination be rolled out in Abbotsford next year is a very exciting thing for, for all Canucks fans, specifically the ones that are going to be in the Abbotsford Fraser Valley area that are going to those games. Like one thing that you're going to know is like every night, there's a potential for the goaltender to go out and steal you an HL game. Like, I, I don't know if Celos is at that point yet, but Mikey's definitely there. Like, Di Pietro can go out and steal AHL games at this point. And with Celos, like, it's such an unknown, and he's, he's got so much talent. Like, I, I always go back to just watching him in Victoria as, like, a fresh 18-year-old and thinking like, wow, like this guy moves really well. Like he takes up a lot of the net, moves really well. And to think that now, if you do get Ian Clark sign, because we know the deal's not done yet, but very positive things coming from Jim Benning, and obviously Kevin's going to talk about that later in the conversation as well. But that combination plus what he does for scouting, scouting goaltenders. This is a guy who you know worked in Sweden during the lockout in 2010 and 2011. Um, uh, you know, or, or I guess that was a year before the lockout, but anyways, worked in, uh, in Sweden for one year. He has connections over there. He has a lot of connections throughout the goaltender community, not only in North America, but worldwide is kind of where he, he kind of thrives. Like we always talked about Judd Brackett and how well he did in the Northeast of it, like part of the United States, how well he did with some of those guys, so what his connections were like. I think Ian Clark has a lot of similar connections to European goaltenders, like, and just how they have learned from him and his teachings and how it's kind of evolved because, Ian Clark isn't just a goaltender coach like he's got a tree right like he's got his goaltender coaches that have learned from him and there's a good tree of goaltender coaches that kind of branch off of the trunk that is Ian Clark a lot of that's in Europe like a lot of that's in Europe and, and I think that that's going to be a huge asset for the Vancouver Canucks is that every year when you have Ian Clark I think you need to take a late round swing on a goaltender just to, yes. to add to your organization every year Because he really hasn't done bad For people that have followed that idea Like he did well, great job with Columbus And he's done a great job with the Vancouver Canucks so far
0: Yeah so a few things there Right is, is Woodley's going to talk about this more But Ian wrote the book On modern day butterfly goaltending Like he exactly. quite literally Wrote the book And he's had that translated to Swedish And Russian And that is what the Swedish, Swedish, Swedish goaltending coaches use that. Like that's their institutional knowledge. Is what Ian Clark has written. Like that. Like I, I don't think people really understand it. I know they they, they should because they hear it so much from us, but. This guy literally wrote the book on butterfly goaltending. And, you know, like you said with the drafting thing, right? It's like Columbus is still reaping the benefits, man. Like you look at their pipeline and it's just, my goodness. It was just, it was stocked full when Ian was there. So not only do I fully agree with you when it comes to taking a late round swing, but even like picking a guy in the second round like Mikey DiPietro. And now I know this was before Ian's time, but that's, that's, just, like, Ian aside, the Vancouver Canucks as an organization have a great, great institutional knowledge when it comes to goaltending, right? Like, a lot of teams, and this is just kind of, you know, Ian has the seven rules for, or seven keys to goaltending. One of those things is size. Mikey DiPietro checks off everything except for size at six feet tall. There are a lot of teams, I'd say about half the league, That will not touch a goaltender. They won't draft him. They'll pay for him when he's a free agent or whatever. But after he's proven. But they will not draft a goaltender. Who doesn't check off the size box. The Canucks do. And the Canucks have an advantage. Because they'll do that. Right? And they pick up Di Pietro. And... Man, I, I don't want to repeat everything Woodley said in the interview, but he, he talked about how, you know, the funny thing about Mikey was he was struggling with low shots because of his stance and his mechanics. He wasn't struggling with high shots as you would think a shorter goaltender would. Like, he was fine there, but he he was struggling with low shots above his pad, and, you know, Woodley's going to talk about that Um but we, we did talk a lot about Mikey DiPietro Talked a lot about Abbotsford And my goodness Chris I cannot wait to go see Mikey DiPietro Because man this kid's work ethic It's just yeah. uh, Woodley tells some stories on the podcast About uh, you know di- Different things and Ian yelling at him To get off the ice and practice is over Because uh, Mikey wanted to stay out Super long he was the first on And last to leave Um but like this guy's work ethic is just through the roof, and you know I- I've talked a little bit to Archer Sealoves, and I know he's an athletic freak. Uh, I I know he's got really long legs, but there there are some things that he needs to work on for sure. Um, but yeah, interesting conversation all around with Woodley. So we'll, well, we'll cut me- to that. I
2: just I want to get this out here first about since we're sticking with Mikey here. I've just sure. I've been thinking about this late. I've had a couple of conversations with people about this as well. You know, Jim Benning wants to get aggressive this offseason Mikey DiPietro is coming off of playing for Team Canada You know, Not playing, but being there with Team Canada Coming off of a year where it didn't look like a great setup for him He had a great rookie season in the AHL I, I know Canucks fans aren't going to want to hear this But if Jim Benning wants to get aggressive Mikey DiPietro is a good trade chip to use
0: Wow, that's a bold take And I, I wholeheartedly disagree with you So the reason being Is Mikey just lost a year of development Teams are going to see that and say Okay we need to see this guy play more At the AHL level and I Think as soon as he comes to the AHL level Chris He's going to be so dominant And maybe then his trade Value will go up but I just I think it'll be higher after he dominates For a second season at the AHL Level uh, which I think he will And I think he's going to be challenging Like honestly Chris this is such a Bold take but Mikey right now could probably be like uh, he could absolutely be an NHL quality backup, but he might be able to be like a one B. Like he might be able to give you what Holtby gave you this year, and maybe more. I, I know it's a bold take, but it's just mm. that's how good Mikey is, and I think you're gonna see that next year uh, when he has a full season in the AHL. But I just I don't think teams realize or like I don't think teams will pay for that. If that makes sense. Like me saying that he's a he could maybe be a 1B in the NHL right now is a very very bold take. I know, and I know there's probably no GMs, maybe including Jim Benning that agree with me on that. But I think once he proves that, that's when you would maybe want to make a move because now you've got two young goaltenders and, you know, you get to see how Silov's uh, develops because there's there's no guarantees, right? So I, I would I would say that that would be a little too aggressive for my liking. Like, I would, I think, Jim and and the Canucks in general should be criticized if they were to deal D Pietro this offseason. You just you need to wait and see what you have cuz I I guess I I'm, I'm just really confident that you're going to have a lot in that goaltender. So, I think now's a bad time to trade him. I think
2: the pedigree that you're getting with Mikey though is, you know, world junior goaltender for Canada. That that means a lot. That means a lot in a trade chip. I think you look at what there. he's done at such a young age in his first year of the AHL. That also means a lot. I do agree with you. I think that his value can get higher. I mean, if he has another great season in the AHL, it does for sure. But what if he just... What if he takes a step back from that first year in the Rook? And I don't think it's going to happen. But this year of development is still up in question to see how much better he could have gotten. Like, if, if he wasn't playing games, and it's such an important thing... We've heard him on interviews now. You know, he was on Ingle Magazine's podcast. He was with uh Donnie and, and Dolly I think earlier this week as well yep. just or, and he was on Sportsnet 650. The dude the dude was literally everywhere this week. I don't think he was on Donnie and Dolly. He was on 650. Um uh, but you know he he even talked about like the missing the year of playing games was really tough on him. Like he he leaned on his mental skills coach a lot. Someone that he talked to a lot. He spoke a lot about that in the first presser that we had with the comments this year with Mikey there. I mean it, I just wonder like if if you're looking at the rest of this team and you're saying like, okay, we want to upgrade the defense The defense is a problem for the Vancouver Canucks If you're going out and you want to attach something with a draft pick Mikey DiPietro, I think, has more value than a Cole Lind He has more value than a Jonah Gajevich He has more value than a Zach McEwen Like, some of these guys that are borderline NHL players Like Mikey is kind of right now, and we just talked about that Like, his value is just, his 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 ceiling is still the highest Out of that group of players, and if you're attaching a draft pick to Mikey DiPietro, I'm just I'm curious what the value would be, right? Because you brought it up, like it's it's a weird spot to to see a goaltender who it's not like he's on the fast track to be a starter in the NHL like Spencer Knight, right? Or or even, but then again, like his his trajectory is so similar to Thatcher Demko's. Like, he was pushing to beat Thatcher Demko's win record in his rookie season as a goaltender. You know, he's he's really taken over the reins ever since he got that one weekend with Ian Clark way back, you know, a couple seasons ago. And, yeah, his things are progressing up. But if if Jim Benning wants to be aggressive and wants to improve the defense core, I think it needs to at least be on the table. Like, him being traded is not a, no, a no-fly zone. If the right deal is there and somebody really likes Mikey DiPietro, Pietro and maybe there's good reviews from him from the World Championship from other players that were there mm-hmm. like I said he was Team Canada's goalie for the World Juniors he had a great OHL career a great start in the AHL I think that there's a lot of value in Mikey DiPietro, Pietro and that's something I'm actually going to be writing about here pretty soon looking at the top 3 trade chips for the Canucks I just wanted like I want to be out there a little bit I I think he's one of the top 3 trade chips for the Vancouver Canucks if you're kind of looking at how you can upgrade the defense and make it better with a trade combining
0: a player and a draft pick. Yeah, I mean, you're you're not wrong. I just I just personally think that now's not the time to deal him cuz he's going to be right. worth more soon. But interesting thing uh that I was kind of just pondering a little bit is, you know, maybe you flip uh you flip Holtby at the deadline you never know, right? Like if he's coming back next year, and Woodley talked about this as well. Um, if he's coming back next year and you know has a good year, maybe he's someone you can flip at the deadline. Do something mm. very similar to what they did with Anders Nielsen a few years back. But we'll uh, we'll 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 hear more from Woodley and everything on that. And I I actually I talked want to wrap quite something a up.
2: Yeah, I want to wrap something up just about why I think that that's an interesting thing with Di Pietro in the trade. I think they're high on Celos, like I really do. I think they, I think they should be high on Celos. I'm going to be very curious to see what he looks like as an AHL goaltender this year, and if if Ian Clark is saying like, no, like this guy could start in the AHL right now, and he's being leaned on by the general manager to make a lot of goaltender decisions, which I think he has in the past. If he's high on Celos, as I think that he is, it's it's definitely out. I think it's out there to me. It's definitely something I've been thinking about lately. If DiPietro is possibly a trade chip, and I don't want just... like Matt you know he's he's like the best guy to deal with. Like he is, he's incredible in interviews. He's funny, he's engaging. You see what he's like in the community with the kids in Utica. Like he lived with a family every single time he's at restaurants. He's taking pictures with kids. Like this is just an awesome dude through and through. And he's one of the hardest workers. So it, it would be hard to see him go. But if you know if this Canucks team needs to improve their defense, and pff, do they ever? I think this has to be on the table for at least uh, Something to explore
0: Yeah, I, yeah, you're right, you're right I I think you have to see the trade Before you kind of determine anything I just don't think that uh, the public opinion Is going to be super high on DiPietro right now From other general managers And I also don't know if Ian Clark Or the Canucks are as high on Sea loves as you think Like I think they think that there's A lot of work to do there But they think there's a lot of raw upside And a lot of good talents But you you need to see him play at the HL level first. And you need to see him do more than one start in Manitoba. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that this year with Abbotsford. It's going to be a good situation. You and I are going to get some games. It'll be a grand old time. I think now's a good time. We'll cut to the conversation with Kevin Woodley. And then on the other side, Chris has a prospect report. Haven't done one of those in a while. So keep it locked. Keep it loaded on the Canucks Conversation. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for Epic Case Break Openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms.
2: All right, folks, here to talk about Parallel 49 beer, and it is some exciting news with the most recent news from Premier Horgan and Dr. Bonnie Henry. Indoor dining is back, so folks, come one, come all, down to the East Van location at Parallel 49. Their beer garden is now open. Big setup, lots of tables, and even some outdoor dining. But at the same time, the indoor dining is open as well. If it's a little bit cloudy or maybe some rain's coming down, indoor dining is now back as well at Parallel 49. Be sure to head down to their location in East Van on Triumph Street. That's 1950 Triumph Street. Go down and try some of those beautiful beers and get out there and get the Peach Bot. I gave a review on the show. It is a crisp beer. Get after it. Peach flavored beer, a little bit of carbonation, nice little mix up for you. They are now open from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week out there on the beer gardens and also with their indoor dining. That's right. Indoor dining. It's back, folks. And be sure to to tag us and Parallel as well. If you're down there drinking a beer, we'll definitely uh, be stoked to see it. And I'm curious to see what beer you chose. So be sure to tag us, uh, tag them and go, go out there and try some Parallel
0: 49 beer. The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employers on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trades jobs that pay well, offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs. All right, guys, very pleased to be joined now by Kevin Woodley. Kevin, how's it going today?
1: It's going good. It's going really good. Let's um, be honest, it's going great because uh, there's some positive news regarding the goaltending coach here in Vancouver, Ian Clark, or at least it seems like there is. And um, I'm optimistic for the first time since kind of taking a hard line on this back in March. And in the interest of full disclosure, um I am excited about this because I do have a long relationship with Ian Clark and he's the guy that got me into goaltending. So the chance to watch him work uh, potentially here for, for several more years is exciting to me. So there's no point in hiding from it. I'm biased towards goalies and this goaltending coach in particular, and I'm glad that there's positive news about him sticking around today.
0: Now, Kevin, anybody who's listened to this show has probably heard you on our show before and you and me talking goaltenders, talking Ian Clark, and we're going to do a lot of that today. But I guess the first thing that I want to talk to you about is this potential deal, because now it's sounding like they're a little bit closer. Jim said that, you know, today on Donnie and Dolly, he said that they're going to get something worked out with Ian. Now, there was earlier reporting that it was going to have to be likely in the five-year range to run congruent with Thatcher Demko's contract. Now, I guess it it, it does sound like they're coming to that term. And I guess my question for you is, is just how unprecedented is it in the National Hockey League for a goaltending coach to get a contract longer than not only the general manager, but also the head coach? It's
1: not totally unprecedented, but it's a big move. It's a very progressive move for the Vancouver Canucks to make. Um, And I'm going to be honest, that's why it was always what I figured would need to happen for this deal to get done once they waited as long as they did to engage him, something I've talked about in the past. Um, I figured it would have to be on his terms. And that's honestly why I was so pessimistic about it. Because in fairness, and I think it's fair comment, um, when you talk to people around the league, I don't think anyone expected them to be that progressive, right? To to bend on term, to sign a goalie coach for longer than the general manager or the head coach had a contract. And and listen, I've said it before. I didn't expect them to. I was critical of, of that. I was critical of them waiting. Um, but I also said several times that there are a lot of organizations that operate this way and that I wasn't optimistic based on past history, that they would join the ranks of the New York Rangers are the prime example with Benoit there. And I've mentioned this a few times in other interviews in the past, but you know, Benoit not his current contract, but the one before this um, was basically went hand in glove, in goaltending speak uh, with Hendrik Lundquist's contract. And, you know, Was extended beyond that, and I think Benoit's now on five different coaching staffs he's worked with, and and again the Rangers changed everything this summer when they got rid of um, the head coach and his staff, but kept Benoit there. So it's not unprecedented, but it's not the norm, and there are a lot of old school um, sort of general managers and and hockey operations people that wouldn't do this, and so to see them potentially, or at least it sounds like, come to this type of contract arrangement, you know, willing to go outside of, maybe not outside of the box, but certainly outside of their box, um, I think you have to give them credit. As much as I was critical and pessimistic because I didn't expect it, now you, I got to go full me a culpa and give them credit for going in this direction. For being as progressive and as aggressive as they have been. And this is, this goes right up to the ownership level, I believe. Um, for sort of opening the vault and being willing to do things differently. Cause the one thing is, Ian is a very strong personality. And so if coaching staff change, coaching staff change over the years, you know, you could run into a coach that, that maybe butts heads and doesn't work well with him. And you could end up paying out this contract. Um, and not having him in your employee. Like those are things that can happen and those are things and risks that a lot of owners and a lot of management groups don't want to take. But again, full credit here, it sounds like there's a strong possibility this is going to get done. And you know, I believe Jim Benning when he says that because I've heard uh you know, around the league, a lot of people that coveted this job and, and were wondering you know when they could move on it, all of a sudden hearing from their representatives that hey, uh, there might not be a job to be had here in Vancouver. Uh, just again, full credit um, and full mea culpa. Didn't expect it. it. Was critical of the organization that they were going to lose this asset. And it looks like they've, uh, they, they're going to retain it. And, uh, I think they deserve a lot of credit for going outside of the box here. Even if there are a handful of teams that have done this, it doesn't make it any easier for them too. And yeah, like I said, credit kudos, all those things. And like I said, selfishly, I'm happy because I learned <laughs> I learned from Ian. I have, uh, you know, for over a day, 15 years now, I guess, uh, every time I get to watch him on the ice with Goaltenders, I learn something new. And every time we talk about it, I learn something new. So I'm excited about that. I'm biased about it. And I give the organization credit for getting, maybe not done yet, but what sounds like just a few final small details to work out and, and could be done real soon.
0: Now, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, the AHL team's coming to Abbotsford, if they were to retain Ian, and it sounds like they will, but how much do you think it benefits them to have him around and just be an hour away from Abbotsford and able to go work with all of those goaltenders? We're talking again about Archer Loves, a guy I know Ian is pretty high on, and that I've I've talked extensively about on this show. Like, how crucial do you think it's going to be for those guys' development, the Mikey Pietros of the world, to get to work with Ian on a somewhat regular basis while still getting AHL games in?
1: I don't think it hurts, but, but I don't think, um, like, like you gotta be careful there because what I don't want to be is at all dismissive of the role that Curtis Sanford, uh, was already playing in Utica in that AHL goaltending coach and development coach. And, and don't forget too, with Curtis, it's not just the guys in Utica, it's being in contact with and, and with other prospects in other leagues, um, you know, that they've drafted that maybe not, you know, haven't turned pro or aren't in Utica yet. So, uh, that role is important and will remain important, but it can't hurt to have the synergy that Curtis has created with Ian and the goalie so that everybody is working on the same thing at every level and on the same mindset in terms of what's going to make them better from top to bottom. Um, having that synergy continue in Abbotsford. I, I could be wrong, but I, I really doubt this is, uh, okay, now you got to do everything type of situation because I don't think that's healthy either. I think you still do need, you know, another goaltending coach to work with uh, those prospects and it'll just make it easier for that work to sort of be, you know, synergized is the word sort of, I don't even know if that is a word actually, but you know what I mean? Like to have it sort of have them all on the same page becomes that much easier, but I still think you need um, more than one person doing the job itself. And I think, what you've got to look at is the fact that Ian already played a role, as much as Curtis was there, that Mikey would still have game review sessions on video after he got to say this season, you know, with Ian Clark as well as with Curtis Sanford. So uh, he's always been very hands-on in that department. And I think that's the other thing. This isn't just a goaltending coach you get. And this is true of a lot of good goaltending coaches. But this isn't the guy where you're just, you know, it's just about the work he does on the ice at Rogers Arena with you know, Jacob Markstrom when he was here, Thatcher Demko, Braden Holtby, um, and Mikey DiPietro on the taxi squad. But it's about uh, the voice he brings to amateur scouting, pro scouting. Uh, we talked on the podcast with him about his seven keys to elite goaltending. It's making sure that everybody in the organization is on the same page in terms of the importance of each of those sort of qualifiers and skills and how to identify it properly because it is such a unique position um, that having that as an advantage, we've seen it, you know, what he's been in Vancouver for three years and yet the Columbus Blue Jackets are still reaping the rewards of his presence there. When I look at a guy like Daniel Tarasov uh, is sort of next prospect up and a team that walked from, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky contractually and right into Merzlikens and Corpusalo and, you know, could have and, and was looking at walking from one of Merzlikens and Corpusello last year because they know what's coming next in Daniel Tarasov. Um, you know, look around the league, Ilya Sorokin, not a lot of people realize this, but Ilya Sorokin, uh, who, who is having an impact on the New York Islanders, is another goaltender that Ian has worked with, you know, back to his teens, uh, or worked with back in his teens, and obviously conflicts now, but even when he was a pro in the KHL, um, did some consulting and looking at it, because he got to know him when he was in Russia coaching with Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, doing volunteer stuff. Um, those relationships in Russia, in Sweden, where you read the Swedish goaltending manual that is, you know, a big part of the development program they've built there and, and has widely gotten accolades for how good it is. You know, right down into a manual. When I saw it for the first time, I recognized illustrations from Ian's old magazine that I used to edit. Right, so it's not just that he's had an impact at all those in all those different countries, but he has built connections in all those different countries that help you when it comes to scouting and identifying and then once you get a goaltender in those areas being able to work with them being able to put him in good situations for his development it's just so much more than the two goaltenders here
0: I wanted to talk to you actually a little bit about the amateur scouting side and the drafting side now the Canucks went with Michael DiPietro and you were talking a bit there about the seven keys to goaltending one of those is size Michael DiPietro probably doesn't check that box. But what do you think it was about him in particular? And what do you think it is now? And I mean, I've talked to Curtis Sanford about this. And, you know, Mikey's just an extremely hard worker, always looking to take that next step, which is why he meshes so well with Ian and Curtis. But what do you think it was about him as a prospect that really intrigued the Canucks and kind of, you know, how that's developed since then?
1: Well, you know, and this is another one too. I think it's a guy who doesn't get enough credit um, not just for the drafting of Michael DiPietro, but also in the early, you know, the the drafting, maybe not the drafting actually, but in the development process of Thatcher Demko early on, uh, played a role in, in Jacob Markstrom before Ian arrived, and frankly played the biggest role in Ian Clark actually coming to the organization, and that's Dan Kluche. And I remember talking to Kluche about, uh, you know, what he saw in Michael DiPietro and why they were convinced that despite that size, um, he was going to make it as a pro. And it's all those, you know, it's funny because we like to throw intangibles out, but they matter, especially when it comes to work ethic, willingness to try new things, that burning desire, uh, but also to to, to to put the work boots on um, and compete, uh, but also the ability to process things mentally, to recognize your shortcomings and be willing to work on different things, try new ideas, different ideas to get better. That, that sort of no stone unturned mentality that I love in goaltenders. And I've learned over the years, sometimes it can be too much. Sometimes there are guys that, you know, they're always looking for the next thing and and never sort of develop a true understanding of what their best foundation is because they're always chasing improvement. So it is a fine line, but Mikey is one of those guys, one of those no stone unturned guys. And I remember even after he was drafted, um, you know, talking with him about the whole size thing. And, you know, he said, ironically, that, you know, his issues weren't getting beat high. They were get beating, getting beat low. And, you know, talking to other goalie coaches and actually at a Hockey Canada camp that Mikey was a part of um, where I was there as a video coach and talking to some of the other uh, on-ice coaches who work in the OHL and pre-scouted him for playoffs about, yeah, like we target him low um, over the pads. And you could see at that camp that it was an issue because of the way he set up and his stance and his mechanics of movement and save execution basically took him off the puck on release, pulled his hands and his shoulders back and didn't give him good access to low shots. So for all the talk about, Oh, a six foot, he's going to get beat high. The real issue when he was drafted was low and he knew that. And other people recognized the mechanics that needed fixed to solve that. And I actually started at that hockey Canada camp and he embraced it. I'll never forget, you know, everybody's trying to make a good impression at that camp so you could dismiss this as just a kid wanting to be keen but I'll never forget everybody going off the ice and him asking one of the coaches that was leading it to, if he could stick around for a few minutes and sort of try and explain some things so that he really dialed in on the terminology and understood it um, and I've watched him put this into into his game and then adjust it a little bit within and that's no longer a problem for him and so it's a very long winded way of saying it's It's one thing to be willing to change and adapt and evolve. It's another thing to be eager. It's another thing to be able to sort of manage all those with work ethic and professionalism. And like, if you, if that was a checklist, Mikey checks all of those boxes and you've just watched him grow. And then to see him this year and the work he put in within Uh, on the taxi squad I mean I've shared the story of the one morning where I was you know given a heads up they'd be on as you know as early as I can't remember the time exactly but it was like an hour and a half before um, the rest of the groups came out and you know for me that's a chance to watch them work to record some drills maybe for Ingo magazine and our premium subscription sort of the how-tos and the ins and outs and some of the technical details and you know he worked his, he worked his butt off the whole time. The goalie, like He was over two hours and 15 minutes that he ended up being on the ice. But it wasn't just the work he put in with Ian. It was you know, once Thatcher came out and there were some shooters, he directed the shooters. Thatcher was doing his pregame warm-up at one end, and he was directing the shooters at the other end how to do a drill. And then when Holpe came out and they had the two nets and Mikey was off in the corner by himself, it wasn't wasted time. He didn't just do movement drills. He set pucks out so he had specific spots. We actually shared one of the drills. It's a a three-puck retention drill that he did. We shared it at Ingoal Mag. He did it off in the corner, working on just the specific skill of, and this is one Jack Campbell could go to school on after last night, the specific skill of reaching out to cover a puck without opening up. And it's a fine, tiny little detail. If you've been a goalie, you know this experience. Puck sitting in front of you just out of reach, You lean forward to cover it because that's the instinct. But in doing so, you typically give up your coverage along the ice because as you lean forward, your knees usually open up or your butterfly narrows and creates a hole between your legs or doesn't no longer seals the ice. It is a tiny, finite little detail that most people don't even think of, but every goalie regrets it as soon as the puck goes in like that. It's happened to every goalie at every level. There's a way. There's a way to sort of make sure you don't give up that coverage along the ice. You keep that five-hole field. You keep that width in your butterfly coverage. You use your stick to corral the puck, bring it in close before you cover it. And I watched Mikey spend 10 minutes working just on that detail while Thatcher and Braden had the net, just three pucks on the ice, one lateral movement, mechanics of pushes and recoveries and making sure he keeps everything tight but that finish it with a good cover, a good puck re- retention habit without opening that hole. Um, that's the type of detail work. he talked to me about that just before we went to the world championships, we went over and he's like, those are the kind of things I never would have thought of before, but the inputs that in your head and then it's up to you to make sure you work on it. Um, and that same practice after everyone else was gone and the starter had left and Holby had left and there were no more goalies, no you know, other than Mikey on the ice and just a couple of shooters late in a morning skate, he goes back to crease movement. And it's not just crease movement, but he set pucks up at various spots around the zone. So that this crease movement with a purpose, he is identifying different pucks, moving to them, but giving himself a visual cue to make sure he stays attached to it. And he's not just moving for the sake of moving. There's purpose in this practice. And to me, That very long-winded description of Mikey's two-and-a-half or two hours and 16 minutes on the ice is why he's going to make it because it wasn't just working for the sake of working. It was purposeful. It was driven, and it was with the desire to get better in multiple areas, and those are all going to add up. And at the end of it all, I'll never forget Ian Clark at the end of it yelling down as he was pulling the pucks off the ice and finishing up at Mikey to get the F off practice is over that's the type of drive it takes to succeed and Michael DiPietro absolutely has every element of it.
0: Kev what do you say to somebody who looks at this season and the season in particular that Braden Holtby had and says well if Ian Clark's such a great goalie coach why couldn't Braden Holtby find success here?
1: It is a good question, and I'm going to make an admission here. And if Ian he hears this, he'll, he'll roll his eyes because uh, it's a sign I maybe lost faith. Um, <laughs> but I there was a point where I was starting to hear the noise that maybe that was, and, and starting to repeat it a little bit, even in interviews, um, that people were wondering if this was a square peg in a round hole. Um, you know, there are certainly goalies, not every goalie that leaves in Clark leaves happy. Not everybody wants to do the work. He's as demanding as anyone in the game. Uh, And he can rub some the wrong way with how demanding he is. Um, And it wasn't that because I knew Braden – I've worked with Braden. I know what that work ethic is. But I started to wonder if all the technical things they were trying to add were too much for a goaltender who relies on feel. I mean, some of the things we did with Braden the the summer before his cup run, um, you know, he abandoned – in season, and then they had to put it back in towards the end of it, parts of it, parts of these elements, because he wanted to play on feel. He wanted to play on instinct. And so I wondered if adding all those technical elements, you know, maybe Braden just wasn't embracing them. Um, Maybe he needed that instinct. Maybe those two worlds couldn't be combined the way Ian wanted them to be combined. Um, And so I started to wonder those things. At the end of the day, I think Braden himself Said it, and, and I thought it was poignant in how he said it after the second, you know, the, the two best performance of the season against Toronto. And after the second game, when I asked him about it, just how tough this year was to make those types of changes. Because there was no preseason to get comfortable with them. As soon as you were into games, uh, every game mattered because of the nature of the season. And so there was no margin for error. And so it's, it's tough to trust new things. And there were certainly times where he looked like a guy caught between two worlds to me. And there was sort of an admission by him that that was the case, that he was thinking about some of these things. And I think the nature of the season made it hard to find moments where you could get past that and just trust it because you were kind of trying to make adaptations on the fly in game action, no preseason, no less practice time. just really tough to get comfortable with these changes. But from the beginning, I was told he had bought into them. And I think when you hear him talk about the end of the season, that's true. And I think at the end of the day, as bad as people want to say this season was, it wasn't as bad as the raw numbers suggest, in part because of the way the team defended and it wasn't working well. Um, Braden's adjusted numbers finished just below expected, above a, a lot of other big names this season better than Frederick Anderson, better than Carey Price by a lot in the regular season. Carey's been great in the playoffs, but in the regular season, better by a lot. So I don't think his season was as bad as a lot of people in this market believe it to be. Uh, When I look at some of the adjusted numbers from Clearsight Analytics that really weigh shot quality better than, in my opinion, anyone else, um, it wasn't that bad. I also think that in this market, The expectation has been set so high by Markstrom and Demko. Demko finished third in adjusted numbers this year. Like, this is two years in a row where the Canucks arguably could have had a Vesna Trophy finalist based on pure numbers in Markstrom and Demko. They lean heavily on goaltending, as heavily as anybody in the league. And the standard has been set at such a high level that I think anything – that dips below that is criticized. And I think, obviously, Braden wasn't as good as Thatcher um, this season. And he wasn't great. And he'll tell you that he needs to be better. But relative to environment, he was just below expected. It wasn't as bad as, as a lot of people in this market make out. And I think moving forward, if you're the Canucks, you should be optimistic that with a, a regular preseason and another summer, and hopefully comes back early again and gets some time with the end, um, he'll take another stride next year, uh, and and be able to improve again. I don't think to a Thatcher Demko level, because you know there are some hitches and delays in his movement that I don't know you can can completely eliminate. At this point, there is a little extra movement in his game. There are things he does differently. Um, there are things he has to do differently because of physical limitations compared to Thatcher Demko, because of size differences compared to Thatcher Demko. That, um, you know, is he going to get to Thatcher Demko's level? I, that would be a big ask. But that would be a pretty big ask of any goaltender because the level he played at this season was so high. So I'm not as down on Hopi as other people were this season. I saw some signs. I did have some doubts as it went on. But by the end, I think there's enough positives there that there's something to build off of, and for a contract that I think will be hard for them to move, I think he could at least provide value in a one B role um, with Thatcher Demko. In you know, it's going to be 82 games next year. I mean, hopefully, knock on wood, everything continues to progress. But if the if the NHL goes back to the Olympics, it's still going to be a compressed 82 game schedule, and you're going to need a one B. And as much as Mikey wants to push for that spot, and as much as I believe, despite missing a year, he could be ready for it halfway through the season, I think you're going to need maybe a little more experience and hope he could be that guy. Perfect world? If, if you've got all three of those in the mix, Brayden Hopey starts off well, Thatcher Demko continues to play well, and Brayden Holpe builds up his value while Mikey gets a ton of games in the American League. And maybe by halfway through the season, you've got an asset in Braden Holtby and a trust in Michael DiPietro that you could make a move like they did when they brought in Demko halfway through the season to be the backup um, and, and traded Anders Nilsson, but maybe for an even, even more sort of positive asset coming the other way.
0: Just before we close out here, got to ask you a couple draft questions. The first one, Jesper Wall what are your thoughts on him?
1: Uh, my first thought, to be honest with you, Quads, is uh, I don't like to talk out of my ass, um, and I haven't watched enough film. I could blow a whole bunch of smoke about the things I've heard about him, and they're all positive. Um, but the truth is I haven't done my homework, and so I would be making it up if, if I listed. Uh, I have talked to other goalie coaches around the league, and they do believe that he should be in the same conversation that we've had in the past two years uh, about Spencer Knight uh, about Askarov uh, in Russia, that that the whole you know first round pick thing is legit here. I've seen some games, I've seen some clips, I've seen some samples. I understand why the hype is there, but I haven't watched enough film to say I've quote unquote broken this guy's game down. Um, you know, even to the point where, like Askarov last year, um, amid all the hype. I still had some questions because I did the work. I haven't gotten to that point on Wallstead, so I wouldn't want to say too much. But people I trust. You know, believe that he's, you know, he's cut from that same cloth in terms of a guy who will be in the NHL and ready to succeed, you know, quickly, you know, that this new mold like Spencer Knight showed this year, like Carter Hart showed the year before that, where this whole goalies need four or five, six years, you know, some of them don't. And I think he's going to be in that conversation.
0: It's nice to hear you say you had doubts about Askarov because I've been uh, I've been battling a few different people about my uh, take that Joel Blomquist is going to be the best goalie from last year's draft when all said and done. But yeah, much like you, I'm I'm not I was not very high on uh, Askarov. So it's oh, nice it, to hear you but say there that.
1: There is a and, and again, like this is the thing. It's not my expertise, right? And that's that's the reality. I judge all goaltenders. By what I watch on a regular basis and that's National Hockey League goaltenders. And so when I watch an 18-year-old play, I'm thinking in comparison to, I don't have the ability to be like, oh, you know, how does it, you know, how does it compare to other 18-year-olds? How does it, how's mm-hmm. this going to translate? Like that's why the people that do that, um, like that's a skill, right? And that's a skill that's honed over years of of knowing like, hey, yeah, that's a problem, but that's fixable, right? Like, so when I saw a scare off. Like, I saw things that were, like, the way he moves on his knees, he moves better from his knees than a lot of guys move from their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's incredible. The quickness, the lateral, like, there's so much there. But I had questions about hands, and I don't mean, like, catching pucks and everybody talks about gloves. To me, it was, you know, I didn't see the blocker active. And, I again, don't mean save, but the blocker's connected to the stick. And if you kick every puck back out into the slot, uh, at the National Hockey League level, you're not going to have a ton of success. And I just didn't see, you know, rebound control, using sticks to put pucks out of mm-hmm. playoff class, things like that. All things that can be developed, but also things that led to having maybe more questions in my mind than I was hearing from a lot of other people last season. And you could call that critical, or maybe that's maybe it's me unfairly judging through an NHL lens, a kid who's 18 years old. But uh at the same time, I I, I don't want it to sound like that's all I saw because I saw an unbelievable amount of skill as well and quickness and and explosiveness laterally, like I said, especially from the knees um, that I can understand why a lot of people are excited about him as an NHL prospect.
0: I know you said you don't want to talk out of your ass in the last time we talked. You said you hadn't watched Archer Silovs and you didn't want to comment on him. Have you talked to anybody about the Latvian goaltender since our last conversation? Do you have anything to add to that conversation?
1: Listen, Archer Silovs wore a pair of my pads at his first (laughs) uh, training development camp uh, with the Canucks here at Rogers Arena. So automatically, I am an Archer Silovs fan because that's the closest I'll ever be. To on the ice, international hockey league uniform is, is, is my Ingle magazine demo pad being worn by Archer Silla. So, automatically, I'm a fan of his, but truth be told, and in part because he didn't get to play a lot, um, I saw some things in his setup and movement patterns uh, when, he was, when he was here briefly working with Ian that I liked towards the end of the season, but I didn't get enough, a chance to watch many games in large part because he didn't get to play many, yeah. Um, you know, and we started this conversation with me praising the organization for going outside the box, um, you, you know, in terms of looking like they're going to sign in, but I have been very critical of how it went with both DiPietro and, and I think, I think still loves too. I mean, he was sent to Manitoba and tough spot, right? Cause you don't have a formal agreement, but uh, I would have liked to seen a harder push, um, for the Moose to have played him more. I was disappointed that, you know, there's not, I don't know that there's much they can do with, you know, on this sort of file, but man, like, like, there were nights where Burdan, who was their top prospect, and I get it if you're, if you're Manitoba and Winnipeg, but like, he went like back to back night afternoon stops, and I had hoped to see more of Silovs in the second end of those type of situations. We didn't. Um, but, you know, so that left me without a lot of viewings, but hey. Um there's positives there I don't know what the ultimate projection is but he's in the mix and he got time with Ian and that's a good thing and like I said he wore our gear so automatically he's going <laughs> to make it like that that has to be true right like I'll talk out of my ass in that regard if he wore our equipment I had if he actually made any saves with pads that I had worn think of how good he would have to be to actually like sort of overcome the aura of crappiness that comes with having a low-level beer leaguer like myself, having worn the gear, and then go out and have success with it first at a at his first NHL camp and then in the Ontario Hockey League. Because he actually, he actually wore that stuff for a while in the OHL before his set arrived from CCM. And that's, like, talk about what kids come with. Like, all of it. I mean, making fun of it and having a little fun with it. But the reality is, like, there's a, there's a kid who came from Latvia with pads that were so beat up that he was feeling the NHL level prospect shots through the shin of the pad. And that's why he ultimately needed to borrow our equipment. We happen to have a model that was similar to what he was used to and a size that fit him uh, in the quote unquote Ingol magazine gear garage. And um, like, just again, it goes to show you like, Sometimes it's that desire, right? Like, like what this kid was playing with from an equipment standpoint. It's so, was so substandard from what we think of, not just in the NHL, but even like in junior over here. And yet that wasn't an impediment. He was going to go out and stop as many shots as he could, you know, even if he could feel it right through to the shin, which is, you know, outside of, I think Jonas Hiller was the last guy in the NHL that purposely wore a pad where you could do that. Um, and just another sign of another kid who's willing to overcome things that not everybody is.
0: Wow. Uh, that was much more insight than I was expecting on, uh, so I I appreciate it. And yes, he will make it because he wore in goal pads. Kevin really appreciate the conversation. As always, we went for 32 minutes. Faber was joking before this. I was like, yeah, I'll probably get 30, 30 minutes with Kevin. And he said, Oh, so you'll ask him two questions. And, uh, I'm glad I got more than two questions in.
1: Uh, I was going to ask where Faber was and, and I figured he just like, he's had enough of the goalie conversations. I've created a monster by, by, uh, talking about it as often as I do. And I hear you uh, You like to do the same. So between the two of us, we got this covered in this market. He can just stick with his watermelon and mustard and the rest of us will be fine.
0: Oh, which is a crime against humanity, by the way, that watermelon mustard. That's a whole other conversation. But yes, Faber's uh, pretty mad at you for getting me into goaltenders. But uh, I appreciate it. Always appreciate the chat. Uh, thanks again and uh, have a great day. My pleasure. All right. And a huge thank you to all of our sponsors at the Conversation Podcast. We have a new sponsor to announce chris you uh, you do the honors there
2: sure i'll thank uh, kevin woodley as well because uh appreciate him coming oh, yeah, on the show <laughs> as per usual i normally do as well uh yes new sponsor of the show we're gonna kind of be uh be really cranking it up next week with them uh but i'm excited for it because summertime's coming you know we love our parallel beers right we love our parallel beers i had Three of them before recording today. Not gonna lie, uh, delicious peach pod, amazing. You know, a sweet tasting beverage. You know, a little bit of fruit mixed in there. That's what I like in my beers. But now, you know, I can I can mix it up. I can mix up the beers now because we are brought to you by our friends over at Squish Hard Seltzer. These mixers are great, folks. We're excited to uh, to launch this partnership with them. They right now they have mango, cherry, lime, pineapple. And passion fruit flavored hard seltzers the hard seltzers. That's that's some parallel beers talking there. Um, very excited to partner up with them. We're going to be chatting with them about the summertime, some exciting things moving forward, uh, and just some other exciting things as well. We're, you know, we'll talk more about Squish in episodes to come. We're super stoked to announce that we're partnering with them. You know, six month deal. You know, that's half a year. That's a good contract. We're excited for that. Five uh, percent beers or five percent seltzers. Be sure to try those out. But uh, for beers. We're heading down to this parallel beer gardens quads that they set up We're heading down there on Wednesday We're going to record the episode right after We got a Canucks prospect uh, to join the show for us for that episode as well As long as everything works out But we're going to be heading down to parallel to the new beer gardens And I know you've seen some videos of this I've posted some 120 people You can seat 120 people in this beer gardens You know, picnic table settings It's like a patio in East Van, 1950 Triumph Street Uh, We're so stoked to get down there. They got waffle fries. Any place that has waffle fries, I'm so down for. The chicken looks amazing. And at the same time, you get all the Parallel 49 beers right there. This place looks awesome, man. And we're going to take a bunch of videos on Wednesday. I know even you're looking forward to it, Quads, and you're not much of a beer guy. No, I'm
0: not, but I am extremely looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to hopefully be able to have a live event there. Like you said, seats 120 people. It'll be be a lot of fun and we've got some exciting stuff in the works with them but yeah it'll be really fun to go there and we're gonna record a patreon before and then we're also going to record the main episode right after we get back from the beer garden so it should be a lot of fun should be a lot of fun yes uh okay
2: prospects report can I get to one of these absolutely okay I got some stuff I got some stuff I got some pod coals and stuff for you folks so I have been reaching out, trying to get a Vasily Colson interview, obviously, people have known this. I've been trying to get on the show, trying to get for Canucks Army. I think we're getting close to it. We are getting in contact with some of the agents over there. been talking to them, and from hearing what I've heard, I haven't heard anything concrete from either end, but just tying together some knots here, from hearing Jim Benning talk about it, from hearing the agents be pretty positive about the situation... I just I get the feeling that a deal's already done. I think the contract's done for Vasilipod Podkolzin, and it'll be announced as soon as this World Championships is over, which Vasilipod Podkolzin is not even playing in. Unfortunately, he's there as an extra guy. He's cheering on his squad for sure. Everything's great, but I think that this deal's done, which is you know not not huge news. I think a lot of people could have expected this, obviously, but I think it, actually hearing about this be so close is an exciting thing because we all know that Vasilipod Podkolzin is going to come in next year. And he's going to make some sort of an impact. I think I made it pretty clear on last week's show how high I am compared to the overall belief from a lot of reporters and a lot of people who talk to people about Vasily Podkolzin. I just wanted to double down on it. I, I've i watched the guy play so much hockey. And I'm so confident in the way that Vasily Podkolzin is going to come in and make an impact on this Canucks that... I I have to believe that it's going to be a bigger impact than Niels Huglander. I just I one hundred percent feel that that's going to happen, and to think that that's possible is such a huge thing. So. You know That's that's kind of all I really had to report on that Obviously there's nothing to report on him playing uh, As for other prospect news I spoke to another Canucks prospect today Not going to say the name Because I think that he is good for the show For the midweek show We're going to work on that for sure I think we might be able to both actually interview him Because we are going to be in studio next week mm-hmm. And kind of moving forward as well Like, without me having school, without me, honestly, not having a lot of hours at 6.50, um, there's going to be a lot of time for me to, you know, make my way down there into the studio and do a lot more live recording. So, uh, you know, it's I I find that the show's a lot better that way. I think you agree with it as well. You know, it's a little bit better for talking over each other, just audio quality. So I'll I'll make an effort to drive in there. We might have to get back to the point of, uh, you know, slipping me some... Some Patreon money for gas because the truck, you know, it ain't it ain't easy making that drive. So we, we'll, we'll talk about that, quads maybe off air. But uh, I think we're going to be doing some more live recordings here in the future, which is going to be so fun. Just, uh, you know, another step back to normality is, is us getting back into the studio together and recording these episodes live with each other in person.
0: And Patreon content. Lots more Patreon content in the summer, Chris. I'm pretty excited. It'll be a lot of fun. It, it will be a lot of fun, but uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, can I can I talk about what are probably our first things going to be? Like, you know, more pod goals and news on the Patreon that I'm not allowed to talk about on the main show, but we'll we will talk about it on the Patreon. Yeah. Uh, so if people want to want to join in there, uh, patreoncom Convo That's patreoncom Convo Weekly episodes where we shoot the blank. You know, sometimes it's going to be hockey talk. A lot of times it's not going to be hockey talking, you know, we'll have some fun with it We'll do some mailbags again over there, we're going to have some fun guests as well And uh, yeah, Patreon's going to be a lot of fun this summer I think we're going to really invest into it And another thing we're doing on Wednesday is for our Patreon folks who have heard in episodes that they've won things I think we're going to be able to do it I think we're going to be able to send everything out on yeah, Wednesday
0: We're sending out packages, we're sending out packages We're going
2: to get the packages sent We have the mugs, you know, we have some shirts, we have the cards uh, and our winners from the Patreon You guys will be receiving your packages Very very soon as we will get together On Wednesday and get some business done For uh, you know now that we can see each other In person we can get some of this damn business done Because we've been horrible uh, over Zoom And over the phone call about getting business done But now it's time we'll get in person You know we'll we'll make it happen We'll be sending out
0: some packages very very soon it Can going to be a lot of fun Alright this is a good place to close it out Thanks again to Kevin Woodley for joining us on the episode Thank you once again to all of you For listening. For Chris Faber, my name is David Quadrelli. This has been the Canucks Conversation.